This is Trevor on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo. Welcome to episode 195. This time around, we have the honor of speaking with groundbreaking filmmaker Neil Marshall and phenomenal actor and writer Charlotte Kirk. Together, they bring you an outstanding movie called The Reckoning. A time of release in theaters on demand and digital February 5th. Hear about their journey to take us back to the witch hunts of the 1600s. Learn about the horror films that created them. Hear about the exciting new things they have on deck. We talk demons, gangsters, dog soldiers, and a new potential sequel to that film. The latest on Neil's upcoming creature feature, The Lair. And so much more. Episode 195 starts now. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. We wanted to start doing something different and fun. So you listening are absolutely everything to us and are as much a part of the Boo Crew as we are. So every once in a while, what we're going to do is randomly select you listening. For now, we are limiting it to our Patreon cult over at patreon.com slash the Boo Crew to join us for a new feature on the show. We are tentatively calling it The Fearsome Four. All right, so the real quick math is me, Lauren, and Leo plus you. That equals four. Add four frightful questions equals the fearsome four. So our first victim is a real great friend of the show. She's been a supporter since day one. She's a massive horror fan. She's an exceptionally talented visual artist as well. Do yourself a favor and go to her Etsy shop, Macy B Shop. That's M-A-C-I-B-E-E-S-H-O-P. We are honored to welcome... Macy Baker. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hi. Hey, it's so nice to finally be able to meet you in somewhat person, right? I know. Gosh, it, it's like I know y'all, but talking for the first time in like real life, it's freaking crazy. I'm so excited. Y'all are just, man, like I said before, y'all feel like family and I'm just tickled to death. Oh, that's so that's awesome. So yeah, and we've, nice. we've been interacting with you on social media since since like day one, and you're a member of the yeah. patron family as well. And yeah, to be able to actually speak is is something else. That's really, really cool. So again, thank you so much for doing this with us. So again, to tell everybody, where are you at? Where are you from? I'm over yonder quite far in Lubbock, Texas. Awesome. Home of <laughs> barbecue, home of Buddy Holly, yes. and home of the great Macy Baker. <laughs> <laughs> I must be mentioned in the same sentence as Buddy Holly. That's how it works. (laughs) All right. To make this super easy for you, so we've broken this down into four questions. All right. So the first question we have for you is, Lauren, give her the first question. Uh, Name three or four of your favorite horror films of all time and why you love them. Okay. This is going to be controversial because I have very controversial tastes, but I thought about this like good and hard. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and just get the controversial one out of the way right now. This is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. Woo, man, I'm going to get some hate after this, but it's the 2003 remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Listen, I know, I know, I know if y'all have any like soundboard, like crazy. Yeah. And I get it. The original is like a super classic. It's much loved by so many people. But the 2003 remake, I fell in love with it. 
I've dug into so many things about that movie. I've watched so many making ofs and behind the scenes. That's my favorite horror movie of all time. So yeah, controversial, I know. And I'm ready for the hate. Bring it. I will not bring that that remake any hate. I know Lauren, Lauren likes it too. It yeah. stars Jessica Biel, right? Directed by Marcus Nispel in 2003. That's the one you're talking yes. about? Yeah. Yeah. Did you go into it? Were you a fan of the original 70s Chainsaw at all going into it? Had you seen the original yet? Or what was your history with the Texas Chainsaw at that point? Nope, nope. The, the remake was my first Texas Chainsaw experience. And as when I was younger, I was not a horror fan. I had a very, very vivid imagination and I hated horror movies because I knew they were going to fuck with me, you know? So the first time I got dragged to the theater, I was sick to my stomach. I was sitting there. I was like, as the previews were going, I was like, what kind of excuse can I make to just leave? (laughs) It was such a terrifying experience. And I just remember not sleeping for like so long after, but think it messing with me so much. I just appreciate it so much more now. And, and now I, I love it. You know, I, I, I don't know what happened. Just something clicked my like junior or senior year of high school. And I just started watching more horror movies and I just, uh, yeah, now it's basically like all I watch, but the cast was phenomenal. All of the, you know, the kids, their interactions was just amazing. And then along with the Hewitt family, I mean, seriously, that cast was like, a plus and i i don't know why it gets so much hate i'm seeing more people come out and like support of it like darcy on uh last drive-in i know she likes it more than the original so that's really awesome but yeah my the thing i think i like about it the most is andrew bernarski he is by far my favorite leather face i think he did the character angry and terrifying and vicious and that is I feel like that's how Leatherface, and it just, that's what makes him the most scary. So that's what I like about it. Um, Yeah. And the whole just atmosphere of the movie is just like dreadful. <laughs> that's going to be my favorite one. So I wanted to just go ahead and get that out of the way so we can, so as an icebreaker. <laughs> Being out in Texas, have you had the opportunity to go out and visit any filming locations or anything like that? Well, yes. I grew up in Childress, Texas, where it's mentioned in the original movie as the nearest location with a phone. Whoa. Fun fact. If you blink and you miss it, but he, but he mentions, he's like, yeah, we just got to get to children's. So, yep. I grew up from children's and all my life. I, when I would tell people that they're like, Oh, what about you? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So many people believe that, but it's, I even worked at the museum, my senior year of high school and they had a file on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it's not even remotely real. I was like, what is wrong with these people? (sighs) But yeah, I've heard a lot about it. But I think it was like 2016, I got to go down to Houston to visit my brother, and he actually drove us up to Bastrop. And we went to the gas station that, you know, is like a shop now, and it has, you know, just memorabilia, and they do barbecue and all that good stuff. So I got some autographs there, and I... (laughs) I actually got, uh, or my brother for Christmas that same year, got me a plank of wood that's from the actual gas station. It has like pictures and uh, a certificate of authenticity and all that good stuff. So, oh, and they had the van and everything there. It was really awesome. That is so cool. Yeah, uh, that's fun. cool. All right. So Texas, the, the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre being number one. So uh, what would you follow that up with? 
I'm going to follow it up with Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. I feel like not enough people talk about that. And I feel like this world needs more serious Tim Burton horror movies because that was just like the perfect retelling of a classic storybook tale. And man, the set design, uh, because they practically built the whole the whole thing everything the again the atmosphere that may be just super spooky and i i fall asleep to that one on the reg just because it's a comfort movie if that makes any sense but oh, yeah totally, totally. <laughs> i love that movie yeah it's like one of my favorites yes i had this cd of the score growing up and i would just put it in my cd player and just it was just the music and like on road trips when we would drive to Amarillo or something, I would just listen to the sound, the score and just picture and just follow along with the movie in my head. So I would say that's definitely <laughs> in our realm of comfort horror movies as well. You put yeah. that on quite regularly. I do. Yeah. It's more that one and mm-hmm. what Bram Stoker's Dracula is another yeah. one. And what would be another comfort one recently? Well, Knives Out is kind of horror adjacent, but that's become a comfort movie around the house, too. It's like constantly on rotation in the background. Yeah. Same here. That that is a good one to just constantly play. When that one came out and I watched it, oh, my gosh so thankful it's on amazon prime because yes it's on my watch list and i i turned that one on the right love that movie it's so good <laughs> definitely one tim but. burton randomly a, a tim burton movie that we just watched with the kids the other day was miss peregrine's home for peculiar children i never saw that it's actually really good like a lot of i, I remember that one did did, got some flack too we bought it on dvd just hadn't watched it in forever and the, my daughter uh, who's 11 started reading the books she found out there was a movie, so we all sat down and watched it, and it was really, really freaking good. One of the best Tim Burton films I've seen, actually. I was not prepared for that. <gasps> yeah. Dang, that's bold. All right, Macy, follow it up with number three. <laughs> okay, this is the one I was going to close with. It really is one of my favorites, but y'all just happen to have mentioned it lately, and Lord and I even chatted about it on Facebook a little bit. I think yes. you might know what I'm coming up with. It's a good the one. Loved one. So good. Oh, yes. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, I was looking up that movie, just reading about it today. That movie came out, what's it, 11 or 12 years ago? 2009. And I don't know what year I watched it for the first time. I think it would have had to have been around 2013 or so. But that movie is aging so well and it makes me so happy to see more people talking about it nowadays yeah sean burn man i don't know why he's only done two features i know right <laughs> and they're both amazing yeah they're both incredible devil's candy and and the loved ones yeah, they're insane they're so good i know i keep i always check his imdb to see if he has anything new popping up and i'm like come on sean <laughs> yeah i keep reading that he's got all these other projects in the works but yeah have not yet seen anything else but yeah both those movies are just oh my god and that song and the loved ones oh <laughs> yeah i remember when you said you like randomly start singing it or something and lauren's like god <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 that's what yeah. i'll be so like crazy. washing dishes and he's like am i pretty enough yeah I'm yeah yeah like, oh yeah i'll put it on my phone and kind of walk it past <laughs> yeah. her yeah and it's ter- absolutely terrifying when you take <laughs> see it out of the context of the movie it's it's amazing leo give macy the next question yeah what's your local horror event where you are or one that you've been to elsewhere this could be a haunt a convention a screening a horror-centric musical event a horror-themed occult store anything at all Well, I unfortunately haven't been able to make it to any like major horror events. I know Dallas has Texas Frightmare, which I've always wanted to go, but I 
I don't really share any like movie interests with like friends. So I, I've never really had anyone to go with, but I've always wanted to go to Texas Frightmare. But Lubbock does have one really good horror experience and it's called Nightmare on 19th Street. And it's a really, really popular haunted house that is open through the month of October. And it's like four different attractions through one haunted course, but it's pretty notable. It's, it's an amazing haunted house. I've been to haunted houses in Houston that cost way more money. And after, after I got done, I was like, this is nothing compared to nightmare on 19th street. Nightmare on 19th street is a uh, 10 out of 10 really good freaking haunted house. Here's Lubbock, Texas. Do you know how long it's been, how, how long it's been running for? Yeah. It's like 10 years. I okay. think maybe 11 after this, this COVID year, but uh, yeah, I didn't get to make it out this year, you know, with everything going on. I do know they did open somehow, but every other year it's just been super packed, like butt to butt people. So this, this year I've tried to be pretty safe because my parents are a little on the older side. So I've, re- I really wanted to keep them safe because I'm like their only contact to the outside world. So um, yeah, so I got, I missed it uh, last year, but hopefully, hopefully by this October things, the world will be back on track and everything will be better. So, cause it's really fun. I'm going to take this one. So who would you like to see as a guest on an upcoming episode of the boo crew who hasn't been on yet? And what's one question you would love to ask them? And y'all probably know who I'm going to say, because I think I've been asked this before and my answer still hasn't changed. I don't. <laughs> so my answer is Nick motherfucking Cage. I want his, him on the show so bad. <laughs> you're not the only one. Yeah, you're not the only one. Oh, my God. Do we ever want him in? <laughs> I don't know how hard he is to get a hold of or if he even does stuff like that, but the day y'all upload an episode and it says Nick Cage, I will shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he Macy, you know, Macy, I, I, I just stole 65 cards for you last night. So I'm a little tired. I'm a little wired. So I just appreciate just a little respect. Okay. <laughs> Leo's outstanding. Nicholas Cage. That was good. That was good. <laughs> so, terrible. But he's got, he's got that new movie. Willie's Wonderland coming out. Right. So yes. yeah, here's one of those things where, there's a perfect excuse to get the guy in, right? There's been a couple. Also, Color Out of Space came out. We tried to get him. He is a hard dude to get a hold of. We've come so close, yeah. right? We've gotten the co-stars yeah. that he's with and things like that. It always just gets so close. But for some yeah. reason, he's like a mystical figure. And we're still trying. Hopefully, we. I mean, if we can get him in, Willie's Wonderland's got to be the ticket, right? I mean. Fingers crossed. We're trying. We're, We're trying, trying, Macy. It's, it's <laughs> not literally for anything. If y'all even want to get it, uh, like, again, like Mandy, mom and dad, he had, like this. And this has to do with my question. I like wrote it out because it's kind of a long question, but I'm going to read it as if Nick Cage is like just sitting there in the dark and he's about to pop up on video any second now. Okay. Yeah. And y'all are going to surprise me. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish that was the case, Macy. I really right. But my question would be that <clears throat> it's no secret that the horror community has embraced you with open arms while you've made a new name for yourself in this genre. Have you enjoyed the ride as much as we have? And do you feel like you've found your new home? Wow, that's a beautifully phrased yeah. question, Macy. Wow. Oh, my God. Well, now that we have this on tape, if he does come in, we're going to play that to him. 
Yeah. Right. So he can answer your exact question oh. from your mouth. We just yeah. got to get him in here. That would be there, a dream. There will be tears. Yeah. There will be tears. I'm hopeful. I, I'm. Ho- I, y'all are gonna get it. Y'all are gonna get it, and it's gonna be. It's gonna be amazing. Well, we appreciate your faith in us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. But as as just like a, a an alternate, because I know Nick Cage is very elusive. You know, I think Joe Bob would be a hell of fun guest. He would be a hoot. Do you have something you'd want to ask him? You you love watching The Last Drive-In, right? You're a big Last Drive-In fan, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Gosh, I didn't plan that out, but I just, I would just know I, on his website, you can get like autographs and stuff. And I ordered one of those off his website. And then I got a little email that I thought was just an automated email. And I was like, oh, it's probably, you know, it, they were talking as if they were Joe Bob. And I was like, oh, you know, that's kind of, you know, funny. I'm sure it's not Joe Bob, though. But then he just kept going. And then he was talking about, he was like, I've never been to Lubbock, but I've always wanted to go. He was like, uh, and just started talking about Lubbock. And I was like, this is motherfucking Joe Bob in this email right now. So just a heads up, if you order a signed autograph on his website, I'm pretty sure you get a personalized Joe Bob email because he kept going on and on about Lubbock. And I was like, only a fucking Texan would really talk about Lubbock this way and how sad he is that he's never made his way down here because no one wants to go to fucking Lubbock. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, oh my so gosh. Lovely. And thank God for Shudder too, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm the biggest Shudder proponent and I will always be the biggest Shudder proponent no matter what. Okay, then uh, Lauren, do you have the the last kind of question? I guess it's sure. a question, right? Yeah, this. I mean, this is the last one and uh, we're going to promote one of the very many amazing things about you and you are just such an insanely talented visual artist how long have you been doing that Ooh, that's a good question like right out of high school i did go to texas tech here in lubbock for a couple of years to art school which was fun for like a week but i did i stuck it out for two years but uh art school is, is just a little weird but um so i after i i left i'm gonna say left school man a good like eight years or so went by that i wasn't doing anything and then a few years ago i i got an ipad and then i just started doodling on that doing procreate and digital art and uh at the end of 2019 i decided to try physical media again and that's when i picked up a pen and started doing inktober which saved my life so i'm a huge proponent of inktober if anyone's wanting to work on their creativity or anything so it was the end of 2019 is when i started actually doing ink art and now you know all through last year i've tried to do more like painting and stuff so so it's it's been five years of art but really just a a a year and a half of actual physical media again so and your stuff is incredible i mean you know you you were so kind also to send some stencils over to our daughter which is so appreciated she's an artist herself and she's trying to learn the craft and and is kind of self-taught but she loved like the stencil that you sent over of uh sam weaving from ready or not that she just didn't love with and tried to actually duplicate and all that and you've done an amazing piece of art uh with alex wolf from hereditary and all that stuff so great yeah a lot of horror themed stuff other stuff as well but would you say uh, is is horror one of your favorite things to draw absolutely i was so afraid that you know just because in in college i thought it, i would enjoy it but it sunk off really quick is just because i wasn't drawing stuff i wanted to 
So um, I was very hesitant to start doing it again because I thought I would, it, it, it would just last for like a week or so and I'd be over it. But since I'm drawing really what I want to now, and it, it, whether it just be movies in general or horror, man, it just makes it so much better. And I'm not tired of it, which is insane <laughs> because especially with Inktober doing a, week, a weekly prompt now, and I'm just, I'm really trying to draw so much. I'm not tired of it. It's because I try to incorporate what I like, which is horror in almost everything. So Macy, if I'm not mistaken here, I swear I saw one of your pieces in one of our local galleries, the Sugarman Gallery. You went? It was this past Halloween, right? Yes. Sarah, is that the yeah. Sarah? Yes, Sarah's from Sugarman. That's right. Uh, we just followed each other on Instagram. She reached out to me and asked if I wanted to do a piece for the uh, Halloween series that they did. And I was like, fuck yeah, I do. And she was like, yeah, you just send like a little like rough draft in, in, in Procreate. I just literally sketched out this like awful face of Michael Myers with like colorful flames and stuff. And I was like, this is what I want to do, but it's going to be better. <laughs> yeah, it was it sold and it was in the show and it was really awesome experience. Experience. I'm so grateful. That was probably the most excited I've been in a really long time. Oh, that's yeah, so just great. I had a piece in an art show in California. <laughs> and not only, I mean, the cool thing about Sugarman is it's right beside the Michael Myers house, right? From the yes, original yeah. Halloween, which is yes, incredible. Yes, it's so badass. <laughs> it's badass. It's so cool. Your Etsy shop. Tell us where, where it is again. I know I mentioned it, but uh, re-up that address and tell people what, what's on it. What kind of stuff? Yes, it's very easy to find. You just go to etsy.com slash shop slash Macy B shop. And it's like I said, M-A-C-I-B-E-E-S-H-O-P. Instagram is usually just like the place I give people just because you can find, you can go everywhere. If you go, just go to my Instagram, which is just M-A-C-I-B-E-E, Macy B. It's mostly just like uh, movie and horror art. Uh, I'm getting working on, you know, getting more stickers and uh, pins and magnets and stuff up there just because those are so fun. And yeah, just to have something physical like that. So, but uh, yeah, every time I do an original painting that goes up too, but uh, luckily those haven't lasted long, which I'm grateful for, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm always okay. Like I'll put a painting up and, and I, and I put it up on my wall and I'm like, I'm okay. If no one wants to buy this because I like it on my wall and then someone buys it and I'm like, I have to just take it down and wrap it up and send it off. But uh, I'm really grateful. Macy, thank you so much for listening to this train wreck of a show that we do and, uh, <laughs> and for being so there for us. We that. appreciate it so much. Seriously, it means the world yeah. to us that you care. Man, I just want y'all to know y'all are the coolest and I love y'all so much. So it was this was a blast and I'm just so excited to see y'all just killing it. It just makes me so happy. <laughs> this is Charlotte Kirk. And this is Neil Marshall. And we are casting a spell on the Boo Crew. The sickness hangs over the city like putrid fog. Bodies are piled high in the narrow streets. It's as if the day of judgment has finally arrived. Anna. I'll give you some advice. Leave tone while you can. I saw her the other day. She was acting bloody peculiar. There's only one thing that can explain it. She made a pact with the devil. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls on.
Boo Autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio are two incredibly gifted storytellers. She began on the stage, studied at the acclaimed Italia Conti School of Acting in London before delving into the craft with training in New York at the most prestigious studios. Since then, she's appeared in several shorts and features from 2015's Vice starring Bruce Willis, No Panic with a Hint of Hysteria, the multi-award winning indie thriller The Deaths, and 2018's Ocean 8, among many others. He is one of the most celebrated and influential filmmakers in the horror and fantasy genre. His 2002 feature Dog Soldiers has become required viewing and perhaps arguably the greatest werewolf adventure ever made. It's fierce, fun, and is an absolute masterclass in inventiveness and the ability to beautifully transcend the challenge of a limited budget. He followed that up with the phenomenal The Descent. It went on to win eight awards, one of the best creature features of our lifetime, and is one that is constantly revered and discussed. Then came massive epics like Doomsday, Centurion, the gory roller coaster ride of Hellboy, and a phenomenal trajectory into TV where he earned an Emmy for his work on Game of Thrones. When he releases something into the wild, it becomes an event. You know it's going to be inspired, full of passion, and the zest of imagination. Our two guests have joined forces to bring us a tale of witches, demons, good and evil, strength and courage, a film that has already amassed over 40 awards in festivals all over the world, including 15 here in L.A. alone. At time of release, your chance to experience it is when it hits theaters on demand in digital February 5th. We are honored to welcome its creators and star Charlotte Kirk and Neil Marshall. Yeah! Yeah. That was awesome. Holy shit, how can we follow that intro? Uh, oh, are you guys kidding me? Your whole body of work has exceptionally yeah. followed that introduction. My God. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And just yes. congratulations on this beautiful piece of work. And before we talk about the film, we we're so excited just to chat a little bit about horror with you both as we are massive fans of yours and we're very interested on your perspective. So Charlotte, just wanted to start with you. What do you remember about what your earliest experience with the horror genre was like as a viewer? I watched a few horror films as a kid that really stuck with me. And really was disturbing. The original It, oh, yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah. That, that screwed my mind a bit. And there's another film, not sure if you've heard of it, The Witchery. No, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> not many people have, but I showed it to Neil. And I was like, Neil, I can't watch it because it's very disturbing. It's, uh, and I won't be able to sleep for a week. But I want you to watch it. It's, it's this, David Hasselhoff, isn't it? Because it's really disturbed me a lot as a kid. Yeah, I'm, it, sorry, I'm just gonna quickly. Uh, yeah, please I, do. And Neil, Neil watched it, and even Neil got freaked out and was like, "Well, it was the very '80s, right?" And it was just just some some terrifying moments. So yeah, you, you guys should watch it if you. I'm gonna watch that tonight. Oh my god, that's amazing! Was it like made for TV or was it an actual cinematic release? It's called Witchery, and it stars David Hasselhoff and Linda Blair. Directed by Fabrizio Laurenti as Martin Newland for some reason. But what it is, is it's incredibly 80s and, it's, <laughs> and it kind of has that kind of something about it, that synth score, that kind of just slightly yeah. icky practical effects yeah. about it that just kind of makes you kind of go, Ooh, it's kind of like watching Demons, you know, it's a, that uh, Demon has more pus than any other film I've ever seen, but it's kind of, and it's really icky because of it. It just has that kind of ickiness about it. It's a great horror film, but it's got it's got it's funny. It's fun. You'll like it. So, like those, and it's got the Hasselhoff. Those two and actually uh, Jeebus Creepers. Those three movies like really stuck with me. But then I have to say, before I met Neil, I didn't really. 
I was too scared to watch horror films. It wasn't my thing, to be honest. But since being with Neil, yeah, my top like three films, the, all horror films right perf- now. The perfect audience that's <laughs> someone who's too scared, but like is open to it. Exactly. So, uh, we've since brought her over to the dark side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, I'll ask you this. Being that's the case, is there one horror film that you were super excited to show, Charlotte? There's been a few, really. A lot of John Carpenter stuff, The Thing and The Fog. To, and, and was it The Fog? It wasn't The Fog released today, like 40 years ago or something like that? It's, I believe you're like right, a, yeah. Yeah, those two definitely. Alien, you fell in love with. Fell in love with. But we've watched things like The Exorcist together. It was your first time for The Changeling, Exorcist. loved. Changeling, you loved that. There's loved been that. so many. Like, but you know I'm very hit and miss. You're like, I, I just don't know if you're going to like it or not. Because things you think I'm going to like, I don't. And then sometimes, like, things sometimes. I think I'm going to I love. American Werewolf in London, you absolutely love that. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a few of the classics. Oh, I mean, it must be so thrilling to watch them again through Charlotte's eyes as well, you know, getting a chance to experience yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But it changed. Like, there's some films that you've got to be in the mood for, right? But there's some films that you can just watch any day, any night, you can watch any time, right? And I think that for me right now, that's The Thing. Alien, The Shining, and The Shining. Amen. Oh, nice, beautifully yes. said. So, how about you, Neil? I know you, you're a big Star Wars guy. You're a big Raiders of the Lost Stark, Indiana Jones guy. But as far as horror genre in particular, is there one that stole your heart? It's probably going to be a toss up between uh, Alien and American Werewolf. You know, from films that I saw for the first time when I was in my early teens and just like, you know, they drilled their way right in here and heavily inspired everything I've done since pretty much. So yeah, definitely, definitely those two. The Boo Crew will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. My heart, my blood, my body, I give to you, Satan. (gasps) Now, the shocking truth about witchcraft, as it exists in our cities and suburbs, is exposed in Witchcraft 70. Hidden cameras probe today's unspeakable cults to document the rites and the rituals when and where they happened. Witchcraft 70. Now see actual human sacrifice on the altar of Bael. Witness the weird rites of the cult of Kali. See the sensual ecstasies of the hippie families. Watch as the Church of Satan celebrates its infamous Black Mass. Witchcraft 70. You will see macabre orgies of a secret sect of evil and hear the erotic prayers of our so-called civilized world and much, much more in explicit color and detail. See Witchcraft 70. It is rated X. Take us on the path to the reckoning, all right? So you transport us to the witch hunts of the 1600s and, you know, most ironically, the Great Plague. What sparked the concept? The concept kind of came to us. Uh, the third writer on the, on, on the movie is uh, an old friend of mine, Ed Everswindell, and he kind of came to us with a rough idea of 
kind of a Witchfinder General meets Carrie kind of concept. And I was like, well, I'm interested in the Witchfinder General aspect, but not so much the Carrie aspect. Regardless, it was enough of a, a, an idea that I wanted to do another horror film again. I hadn't done one for a while and I, and I felt the need to do another horror film. And I wanted to get back into the horror circuit and the horror festival circuit and such like. So I was looking for something. And off the back of that, I started doing some research and then you, you started doing some research as well. And we kind of got immersed into this world of, of witch hunts and such like in that period. And the more we, get, the more we got into it, the more a story kind of emerged where it was like, okay, we don't need to bring this, the obvious kind of supernatural hocus pocus element to it. The truth well, is, the truth is hor horrific enough. And I, mm -hmm. and, and I say, I wasn't really interested in doing the hocus pocus side of it. I was more interested in the reality of it. And the more we got into the reality, it was like, okay, there is something really dark and fucked up here and, and, and hasn't really been touched on in a while. And, and so let's, let's go down that route. But at the same time, I had no interest in doing like a torture porn film and that does, does not interest me at all. So I was trying to find a balance of like, how could we do an amalgamation of, of characters and events from the period? So it's being true to the period, being true to what really happened without dwelling on the torture aspect too much and mm -hmm. go into a, a more psychological rather than supernatural direction. Charlotte, as he said, yourself and Neil embarked on this journey together with, with Ed, the, the other co-writer. Was this a first feature film script that you had an opportunity to work on, Charlotte? And what was that experience like? Oh, yes, it was my first script that I, I, I um, co-wrote. I, I couldn't have done it without Neil. It, it was such a collaboration, wasn't it? It was, it was great. And it was just great that, because some people were like, oh, you know, is it, was, it, was it difficult that, you know, like two co-writers, because some people can't write together. But I think it was great because I looked at it, came, you know, came into it and looked at it like from an actor's point of view. And Neil was looking at it from a director's point of view. And then together we had, you know, you had one and, 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 Yeah, and, and I, was, I, had, I was kind of looking from... Uh, a horror aficionado's point of view yeah. and like you were completely the flip side of that at yeah. that time just wanted to know about the sto what the story was what are the characters and how we're going to make this just a great a great film and great characters and everything and then i wasn't when i was writing it i wasn't even thinking of or oh, horror film or jumps or anything like that because i haven't really done that you know i was just thinking of right just making the best film possible and the best story possible so it worked really well really and although, although like technically i guess you know i did the typing but the, the physical typing is only a very small portion of what the writing actually is. Most of the writing yeah. is just you know, ideas and thoughts and notes and bickering and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Pouring with the idea of, you know, it's there, but it's not quite there. I love the world. I love the idea, but I don't like, I don't want it to be witches and people flying around on broomsticks and Carrie's been made already. And then we're like, well, I said, well, what if there is no witches? Let's leave it ambiguous because some yeah. people think there is. <laughs> Let's leave it ambiguous, but, but yeah. not the Carrie kind of film. Yeah. Right. More, more about history and the historic aspect to it. So that's when we kind of took it down another we, route. We still wanted it to be a tale of ultimately revenge, but more realistic revenge. Yeah. Mm. Well, speaking of that, there's an incredible character, probably one of our favorite characters besides Grace, obviously, is the Witchfinder's partner. Tell us about conceiving her and who she is. Yeah. She's a very interesting background. I, well, again, I mean, nice. like it, it, it was, I can't even remember what the, the origins of it, but it was little bits and pieces fell into place of this character who had survived, somehow had survived being burned at the stake. Mm. And that had like 
she'd had a, a, a transformation because of it, an epiphany mm. because of it, that everything she was doing was, she'd become this, this fanatic essentially uh, um, through, through that process mm-hmm. that she'd, she'd uh, transformed into this, a fundamentalist, I suppose, uh, uh, which finding a fundamentalist. But what I would say, someone mentioned earlier that, oh, you know, how would you feel if someone said that, you know, you're making like all the males to be bad and all the females to be good? And I'm like, well, not really, because Edwin is actually a really good guy and Ursula is not very nice. There's a moment in there, which I wanted to get in there, where they have that connection, like where she, you know, where she says something like, you know, what she says, she has courage, don't you think? that moment where she nearly comes to the good side and then she doesn't. And then she gets pulled back in again. And there's, yeah, there's moments even when she's going to, has to administer the, the pair of anguish that she, she's, there's a hesitancy or reluctance to do this to another woman. And so it's yeah. like, but she's, a, she's become a zealot, you know, she's been completely brainwashed by Moorcroft into believing that she really was a witch and got, she got saved by God, mm. you know, with the, the, the rain came down and put the fire out and she was saved by God. And therefore she must do God's work now. It's brainwashing, you know, and it's. I found that really fascinating as a really unusual character. Mm. Charlotte, as as one of the writers of the film, you playing the character Grace, you have some great fighting scenes along with some crazy torture and horror scenes. Uh, what were some of the scenes written with specific interest in acting in them? Absolutely not. No. It's interesting. When I was writing it, I didn't think at all about me playing it at all. I really didn't until, and maybe I should have done. At <laughs> all. And then... When being on set and like, you know, when actually right pre-production, got to start getting into the role now, I wanted to look at it with a fresh pair of eyes. So I didn't want the writer and the actor to clash at any point in time. So I really wanted to detach the two because then you can explore more and find more things. So, yeah, maybe I should have, but I, I uh, when it came to it, I was like, oh, God, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is that now. <laughs> when, when it came to those moments on set and the, the various discomforts that we put you through, it was like yeah. you only had yourself to blame. <laughs> that is true. I didn't know how to sword fight or to ride horse. I was like, okay, my stunder will be doing that. And then I did it and I absolutely loved it. And that, I that really was, I suppose did. that was the thing, that we wrote this character riding around on a horse at the time she couldn't ride. So it was like, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come sure. to it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and that fight scene we choreographed in one day, and then I thought, oh, God, I'm going to do this. I'll have my stunt double, don't worry. And then I was like, no, I want to do it. And I got into it, and I, I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. It's safe. You know, you think, oh, my God, you know, what's going to happen? This is professional's work. You stunt, you stunt people, but I loved it. One of the things I fell in love with is the costuming. It was breathtaking. Was that all custom made? And Charlotte, is there a favorite uh, outfit that you got to wear? Hmm. I know your favorite is probably the the red and gold dress. Um, Because you you chose that. Mine is actually, I love the Western feel to it. The big hat. I loved it when Joseph's hat. I don't know. I can't. People would get that, right? Because some people, I'm like, I hope people understand that it's Joseph's hat and not hers. <laughs> but um, I loved where she was on the uh, on the horse with with the long jacket and the, and the and the Joseph's hat. I loved that. It's very westerny. Yeah, I love it all. That I mean, was my favorite outfit. Continuing that kind of western vibe to it, I I, I think one of my favorite bits of costume has got to be got to be Moorcroft's hat. Was epic. The, <laughs> to make the most epic hat yeah. ever. For that yeah. character, I think Sean fell in love with that hat. But um, then Ursula's costume was great as well. Yeah, black and gold, great. simple. The, the, I love that with like the vining and all that stuff. Yes. I want someone to dress up as her on Halloween. Yeah. And the, the, <laughs> the plague doctors, you know, the plague doctors with them with yeah. the mask. 
their, their top hats and things like that. I was like, yeah, the costume department did an amazing job. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of it was made for the for the movie and a lot of it was rented. So it was like a little mix. I think pretty much all of your costumes were made from scratch. Yeah. And then some of the other stuff, the masks were all made. Moorcroft hat was, was made. So bits and pieces like that combined with other elements. Did you guys keep any of it? I got the red and gold dress, you but got, I think it was like, the yeah, not the one that was all ripped. They made me a fresh one that was lovely. I've got, a, like I've got a, a plague mask. So I don't know where I don't know where Moorcroft's hat is. I think Sean probably took that for himself. We have some props as well. Let's talk about that. What'd you keep? Well, I, I had to keep the pair of anguish. Oh my god, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. It's on a box on town on our mental on our mantelpiece. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, asking about that. Yeah. Was that stuff from, you know, the Witchfinder's incredible hat and, and that tool and, and some of the other tools that, that come into play, the big cross and the mask that Grace has to wear, all these things. How much of that is historically accurate? Everything is, I mean, the, the plague masks are embellished a little bit in terms of design, but essentially the same. But everything else is 100% accurate. The, 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 the pair of anguish, the, the spikes, the, the witch spikes that they use, uh, all of that. I accurate. have to say, all of those, all of the, the tortures that we did, that is what happened. So it's authentic. None of, everything's authentic. Yeah. I think that, you know, there, there is a, one of those pair of anguish things in the Tower of London or something like that. It is a real thing. That's a real terror. And the trouble was figuring out trials that weren't lethal. You know, you know, the, the famous one is the if the, the dunking, right? If, if the person sinks, they're innocent. If they survive, well, they're going to kill them anyway, right? So and we're just like, what ones can we do that aren't lethal? So they were like the most so, some, ones. some of the others are just so gruesome yeah. and you couldn't survive them. Um, yeah. And that was the, the whole idea was like, you know, you either if you die, you're innocent. If you if you survive and confess, you're guilty. If you survive, you're pretty a witch much the only choices you had. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. So, Neil, you've mentioned the deliciousness of the challenge of the reckoning. You love the creative gifts of having to think your way out of limitations and roadblocks. What is maybe just one you can think of from this film that you are proud of or, or came away with a, a bit of a revelation? Oh, God, that's a good question. It's kind of, the crazy thing is, like, it's like the whole movie was that because it wasn't made for very much money. So everything that we came up with it, just to, just to get it to look as big and epic as we did is like, how many visual effect shots can we afford? How can we use those to get the point across? Um, you know, how can we A lot of practical know, stuff. shooting it? Like we, it's the first film I've done in anamorphic widescreen, which just in itself gives it a really cinematic epic quality. And the DP Luke Bryan did like an astonishing job. It's, it's, it's a yeah. beautiful film. Mm. And, and a lot of people think maybe is, is it at odds that it should be so beautiful when it's dealing with something so dark, but I actually love that contrast Yeah. in the same way that like Sam Peckinpah found beauty in like guys dying in slow motion. It's like, you know, there's beauty in, in the kind of death and destruction and darkness. So I wanted to, that? I wanted to make it beautiful. Sorry? What film was that? Uh, the, uh, the Wild Bunch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about this? I mean, you notice it right from the go and it comes back in different forms throughout is that amazing sonic world that you've created or curated with the amazing Christopher Drake. It opens with this sweeping choral opus and then throughout there's this thrilling, like almost Argento-esque organ theme that really is a theme song. It's just wonderful. What was the yeah. intent and the importance placed on that? Because it seemed to be such a character in the movie. 
when we were in the in the room mixing with well we, when we were a little bit we were in the room with him weren't with him all the time but when we was in the room with him your thing was giving a instrument to a different per character right oh. so more cross theme is the organ and then i remember chris saying for the first time do you want this organ and Lil was like hell yeah i was like oh my god it sounds I, I, amazing i never thought of putting a church <laughs> organ on on the soundtrack and then chris suggested it and i was like oh i love it yeah i love it that's that's epic yeah and i think with, with, you know, with the religious thing as Chris's, well chris's score brings so much weight yeah. and depth and and atmosphere to the to the piece it's that thing of like how can we give it the extra the scope and the scale and his score does that you yeah. know it just takes it to the next level all these things add to it i mean he's just done the most astonishing work on this it's beautiful score yeah. yeah, there's one moment where it really just dances with picture. And I don't know if it's something I'm looking into more than what's really actually intended. But there's this one scene where you're opening a coin box and the score combined with I don't know if it's a happy accident, but the, the dust or whatever's dancing around you, it almost glows. Is that what it is? Yeah. It yeah. looks so cool. That was literally we had some very dusty blankets. <laughs> and just be- just before the take, I ran into shot and I like shook the blanket <laughs> and filled the air with dust, and it looked so beautiful. See, that's like, the I small love touches it. you do that make it just that extra right. Bit. Yeah, it's just magical. You care about how you make something look more small things like that. Just finding those little beats or, or, or accident, you know, happenstances, lucky accidents yeah. of like, wow, the sun's coming through the window, looks stunning. Let's get some dust in the air and you know, give it that authenticity about it. Yeah, just magical stuff like that. That's fun. The first 11 minutes of the film, we see such a range of intensity from you, Charlotte, as Grace. And all over this film, really, your performance is what we are riveted to. And kudos to you for being able to guide us along on this adventure. But you have some very heavy lifting to do, going from everything to a full-out emotional breakdown to being an action hero, really. What was the process like for you of bringing grace to life like this? Well, I knew I had a response, such a responsibility because from the page, I was like, I'm carrying this movie, right? Like I'm in nearly every scene. So, I mean, the prep work. So I had Susan Batson, who's my acting coach. She's based in New York. She's amazing. She's got her whole things about truth. She's got a book about truth. And she, she really helped me there. And then, but I kind of wanted to get to the point where I wanted to let it go. Right. So I did as much prep work as possible with her. Yes. I, I knew it inside out cause I helped write it, but I was like, okay, I need to just let it go. And the physical thing, the physical side was really challenging, but it was definitely the, the emotional side that having to be a number 10 out of 10, an emotional point every single day, because you couldn't, if I was just that little bit less, it wouldn't be believable. Right. So it was really, really tough. And I think just, what did I do? I mean, it was just so much focus. Like, yeah, I mean, in a, yeah, when Neil called Carter, I was laughing and joking. But for the most part, I kind of want to just like stay in the zone and just, you know, didn't have really have much chance to break really in between. It was pretty full on all the way through, wasn't it? it well, and it was relentless. I mean, it was, we were working fast. We didn't have time. So there to, wasn't too much downtime. I also like you had the rest of the cast were, you know, oh, yeah, the to, cast to, was amazing to work with to as well. To support you and, and bounce off and, and, you know, react to and things like that, which is just, just magical. Just seeing, and having, having seeing Neil this, this as well, having Neil, who is he's an incredible director who gives you, just, <laughs> he, no, <laughs> but he, makes, you know, he gives you, he gives you the freedom to do what you want, but he gives you little things that 
go at 100 miles an hour. Just why don't you try it that way? And he's like, yep, yeah, got it. I know, I know what you mean, right? As opposed to being like a tyrant or anything like that. He was just super, super generous as a, as subtle, a director. Subtle guidance. Yeah. I think. And not, not do what you want. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, no. Yeah. No, but no, no, but it's that, it's that balance of of you know I want my cast to to feel so we've got we've got dog attached. Oh, oh my gosh, God. it's my <laughs> dream dog. Oh. <laughs> yeah, look at that face. Oh my god, so cute. I want one. He looks innocent. Is it a King Charles? It is King yeah. Charles. King Charles. Oh my god, yeah, we oh talk about god. King Charles Cavaliers all the time. That's why my birthday's this month. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Is our little bubba. I, actually, at the end of the film, it says thanks to Molly Pryor. Well, Back she's Molly. Molly. There we go. Oh, <laughs> oh nice. So cute. The documented cases of burning witches versus hanging and the great debate as to what happened here in New England versus Europe. Was there anything that really surprised or shocked you while researching for the film? Well, I know that I, I know that in truth, most witches were hanged rather than burned. I think simply because it was just easier and quicker and. You know, you don't have to build a fire, you just string a rope over a tree. So, But the burning, I guess, is more symbolic, where we associate burning of witches more, so, and it's more visual and more cinematic, I suppose. So, you know, we, we want to go down that road. The most, I think the, one of the most fascinating things that we uncovered, or I, you know, when we were doing the research, was this notion that the people, and this is why we said it in the year of the plague, the 60-65, the people were believed the plague was caused by the devil, was the work of the devil, and that the witches were the disciples of the devil, and that cats were the familiars of the witches that they communicated with the devil through. And so, the, so there was a mass extermination of cats that year because they assumed that the cats were to do with the, were causing, help cause the plague. But of course, by killing thousands and thousands of cats, it allowed the rats to spread the plague even further. And that kind of like bizarre, twisted irony of, of, you know, they're trying to stop the plague. They actually caused it to go further was just too juicy not to include mention of in the script. And mm -hmm. so that's why when she rides into town, there's a whole bunch of dead cats uh, hanging up. And then, then it's mentioned later on as like, where are all the cats? Because mm -hmm. the people killed them. But also I would say in the research, you, you everyone knows about witches, right? You read about them and you get taught about them in school, some you know, some schools anyway. But no one, I don't know, how, knows how much you know, these women, mostly women, some men, suffered. You know, you just think, oh, okay, yeah, they suffered. how many of them? And how many, but, but the, how brutal it was. I mean, literally were tortured. It wasn't just a quick act of hanging. Of how just... The more we read, the more research we did. And I was like, well, this story needs to be told. Because, like, yeah, when we were, I was like, what films can we watch for, for um, references? But there wasn't any. I was like, well, that tells us something yeah, right there. Go. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some that touch upon it for sure, which one in general, of course. Yeah. And Mark the Devil, and things like that. But there's not an awful lot, and not an awful lot said in that time period either. Mm. You know, um, things more recently, things like A Field in England, but there's not a lot in that time period. Which was interesting. So it, was, it felt kind of a fresh and making England place look, to go and make the film because you wanted like it to look cold and grey, typical England, right? <laughs> well, it was. It, we were expecting to shoot it in winter in the UK in winter when it would have been bleak and rainy and grey and dark and dull, and we ended up shooting it in Hungary in the summer when it was scorching hot and bright and sunny every day. And knowing that that was going to happen, then so myself and the DP, like we 
figured we were like, well, what we're going to do about this. And, and so that's when I came up with the idea of like, you know what we got here? We got a Western. We've got yeah. people in big hats and long coats riding horses. They all carry pistols. There's a, there's a the township with the, the corrupt guy who runs the town. Yeah. We've got the hot, the farmsteaders. I mean, this is, this is all Western iconography. So let's embrace that and make the film dusty and hot and, you know, once upon a time in the West, but in, you know, the West of England, as opposed to trying to fight that. And uh, yeah, we went down that road. And I think that's kind of why you got to wear the big hat. And yeah. the <laughs> that's awesome, man. Nice. What a fun candy store to play in, really. Seriously. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you get, it comes across on the screen, too. Yeah, when, you know, when, when Murkoff walks into the, the saloon with his big hat and, you know, and then there's like literally like a standoff, a gunfight without the guns. Yeah. It's full on Western, you know. The village and everything, is that practical? Did you guys have to create that? Or was some of those actually historic buildings that were around at the time? What, what, did, uh, what was that like? It's practical, uh, mostly it's it's set. Wow. Um, there's a few kind of VFX shots in there just to give it some scale, but it's, mostly. yeah, mostly it's practical. Oh, my gosh. I loved it. It was so beautiful wow. when the storm was happening. Oh, Yeah. yeah. You see a lot of challenges, like just watching it, thinking about, wow, I wonder how, what was going on behind the scenes when you're working with almost entirely candlelight. There's a storm, everything's blowing, there's copious amounts of water, copious amounts of fire, and just someone's behind the scenes kind of orchestrating all this stuff. That must have been a manic. The rain was, the rain was crazy. Like movie rain, never had that before. And I was like, and he's like, and it's the moment where, she, you know, she's there burying. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I couldn't see. I was yeah. like, <laughs> I look at him with such emotion. Yeah. I was like, I can't keep my eyes open. <laughs> it's I, I'm like trying to scream directions, but the rain is so heavy. Like couldn't you hear. can't hear what I'm saying. Get out the grave. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there was one take where Neil was like, right, this is what you need to do. Give a few looks up and get out the grave. Well, I think I overdid that a bit because he gave me my freedom. I was like, great, because as many takes as possible, as much coverage as possible, I want you to have. So he gave me the freedom. So he's like, yeah, when I say, no, I don't think it's, no, sorry, not when I get, uh, when I say get out of the grave, have a few looks up and then get out of the grave as you please. Great. So get another look. Because this is uh, Charlotte Kubrick here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, a few more. Oh, well, I better try it that way. Oh, but but bit of OCD, I but, think. But, oh, but, but what about that way? And then literally... By this point, I'm like screaming, get out of the grave! I kept doing it. I, kept, I think the music was off because I had like some music playing in the background as well. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what made me get out of the grave. I don't know if I could hit what it was, if I heard you or the music stopped. So about, I think, take number 55. It was, it was long. It was, quite it, was, a few. it was quite a few takes. Few and then I eventually got out of the Finally, you were like, you were like what? I'm like, get out of the fucking grave. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that was the most challenging scene to shoot? I don't know. It's like we, what, one setting, setting people on fire is usually quite challenging. Mm-hmm. Especially when you've got them like with the other cast in the same shot and things like that. There's stuff that's risky. There's stuff that's dramatically challenging. Yeah. It's, uh, I think the stuff with the the pair of anguish was dramatically challenging because it was just so like horrendous. And how we get it, how you're going to do it logistically, right? Because you yeah. didn't want to, we didn't want it to become a torture film. Yeah. And, Cutting and at the you, right time. You being strapped to that device like for ages, like well, that was. Challenging. <laughs> there was just so much. Just trying to just trying to make the days was challenging because there was a lot to shoot, and you know we wanted to get as much coverage as possible. And you know, 
Different thing. Yeah, we say most challenging. I think it was different for different reasons. That was most challenging for me because I couldn't bloody see a thing. <laughs> and it was hard to get the motion out there. But physically, love the horse riding stuff. The lake at the end, I thought, oh, God, I really don't want to get to the lake. And they said you could drown. So we did a guy, the water, a uh, bodyguard Scoo- there, scuba diver. diver there. I was like, oh, my God. I, like, I really don't want to do this. Well, as soon as I got in, the Kubrick came out again, and I absolutely loved it. Again, like, no. Of course, we end up using the first take. Yeah, as is as is the way. Yeah, but it, it was actually interesting because uh, exactly as the same happened on the descent, where the last shot of the movie was the yeah. last shot that we shot. Yeah, of the movie. cool. Yeah, we filmed the last shot of the movie on the last day. Looking back at this film, your previous works, Neil, what would you say, or could you pull out one that? you have the fondest memory of being the most fun to make. If I don't say this one, I'll get into trouble. That's no, true, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Next to this one. Next to this right. one. Right. Next to this one. Honestly, God, the most fun. Doomsday was an awful lot of fun, I have to say. I, we had a lot of toys on that. Uh, yeah. We had way too much money and a lot of toys, and we were kind of left to our own devices because we were down in, in South Africa, so like we didn't mm. have the studio sort of sitting looking over our shoulder all the time. And just doing car chases and stunts and machine guns and explosions pretty much every day. Mm. Yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, Dog Soldiers was a lot of fun. Your chat, your first movie, right? So- yeah, I mean, amazing fun. The Descent was fun. They're, they've all been fun in their own way. Hellboy was not fun. That was miserable. But um, and not your movie. Yeah, that's definitely not on the fun list. But the other fun. Would you ever revisit Dog Soldiers or The Descent? Do you find yourself thinking about concepts and ideas for those? Are those books closed? They're definitely not closed. Edgar Wright suggested that, that what was it? The Descent 3, Deeper and Down, as applied <laughs> by Status Quo. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I could revisit that world, but I, uh, with that one was kind of, it's odd because I always intended the, the, it to be a one-off and then the sequel got made anyway. Did um, you intend Dog Soldiers to be a one-off? Dog Soldiers was already intended to be a trilogy. So the rights for that have been tied up for quite some time. But now there's the possibility of a Dog Soldiers 2 finally. And the initial rumblings are happening, so uh, <laughs> of which I'm very excited about and would love to go back and revisit that world and see if I can get Kevin McKidd to come and join me and, and see if we can go do something with that. That's so that's looking semi likely. We shall see. I, I don't. I, I don't want to tempt fate. It descends. I, I don't know. I can't see me revisiting that world. You know what's funny, Lauren? Uh, Lauren's favorite, uh, one of her favorites, is Shaun of the Dead, and I had recently oh learned that God. Simon oh. Pegg was actually wasn't he in the running <laughs> to be in Dog Soldiers at the time? He was. Yes. Oh. Um, there was like an original. There was a, a few people got offered roles in it and it was the original cast lineup included jason statham uh, and simon peck oh my uh, god you imagine <laughs> wow nice. he has an eye for talent right um and he this, 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 because yeah, it was just after Lockstock and two smoking barrels had come out and i was like that guy's gonna be a movie star let's get him in dog soldiers and john carpenter came along and offered him ghost of mars so he went and did that instead no but yeah because he was available, but then you didn't shoot the movie in time, so he was going to. Yeah, do he, it. he stuck around for like a year, and then well, we were trying to get the money, but then yeah, he went off to do Ghost of Mars. But thankfully, we got Kevin McKidd, and that worked out beautifully. And then Simon Pegg, we offered him the role of Spoon because I'd I'd seen him 
obviously on space, but I'd seen him in some other stuff as well. It was like, that guy's going to be a movie star as well. And, but he was as, as grateful as he was, he was also incredibly loyal to, to Edgar and had promised him that Shaun of the Dead would be his first feature. So I was like, I bowed to that loyalty and was like, that's great. But then we got Darren Morfitt, who was just incredible as Spoon yeah. and made the, made the role his own. So it was a win-win. Sean way. would have made it, so, Sean uh, um, would have made it, I think. Simon. Root, yeah, Simon, Simon sorry. <laughs> would have made it like really funny. I feel it's like made it completely comedic, I think, that role. Who can say? That's an alternative movie in an alternative universe. Right, exactly. It's all meant to be. And moving forward, Neil, we've heard of a new film called The Lair, which you've been quoted as saying is a true return to full-blooded horror. So is that in the cards? Is it a creature feature? What could you tell us about that one? Well, I suppose if you know, the reckoning was certainly a return to horror, but I was I, I showed a degree of restraint, with the exception of one wagon wheel scene. Uh, <laughs> Amazing scene, by the way. <laughs> right. So yeah. good. I, I thought I wanted to come back and do something, a creature feature. First, I want to do some monsters and kind of combine elements of kind of dog soldiers and aliens and predator and uh, and and things like that. So it's a full on monster movie with action and explosions and blood and guts and, and everything. Yeah. Oh, Intent. we can't wait. Oh, what what, so what, what nice. point is it in right now? Is it the script wrapped? Is it actually going into production or what's the story? We're just putting the finance together right now with plans to shoot in May. Oh, brilliant. Where are we going to shoot? But, yeah, we're figuring out with the COVID of it all and things like that. But uh, yeah. And uh, Charlotte's going to be back and, but she's you know going to get, Really bloody this time. Hell yeah! Yes. I was just going to yes. ask, Charlotte. So that's that's <laughs> on deck for you and any yeah. anything else that you've got in the immediate future? So I have to go back and finish, because I shot half of it, the Nicole and OJ stuff. Uh, where I played. So I've got to go back and shoot the rest of that sometime this year, depending on COVID, right? And then after that, we have another film that we co-wrote, another film called Duchess, and it's a female... Scarface. Gang- Scarface. Female Scarface. Basically. Oh, basically we're, British female Scarface. It's like Layer Cake meets True, Scarf- romance. True Romance meets Scarface. It's basically like yeah. Southeast London girl takes over a cartel. It's like real kick Because like, we're sitting there one day and I was like, there's not any kick ass, badass, like gangster women. There just isn't. Like all the gangsters on, they're all men. And it's like, and, well, and everybody when, loves gangsters. And everyone loves gangsters. And we're just like, and we want to do a film that's completely, because a lot of films these days are held back, right? That have restraint. It's like, it's got to be completely outrageous, completely. So it's pretty outrageous. It's completely like Layer Cake meets Scarface. And, and, and I want to, I've not done a crime gangster. movie before, gangster movie before. So I wanted to do. A gangster movie that also, I'm guessing I'm bringing my horror sensibilities to that as well. So it's it's pretty full on. It's pretty full on. Oh, I cannot wait yeah. to wow. see Wow, yes. this is amazing. One of my other favorite films is Goodfellas, right? So it's got the whole voiceover. So it's whole voiceover throughout. So real proper gangster. Yeah. It's I cannot wait to see that. That's going to be amazing. That, that, that'll be fun. So that's, that's, that's on the cards for later in the year as well. So the plan is... Yeah. Keep them busy. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. My God. Well, yeah, you guys, cool. again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yes. It, I mean, we're massive oh, fans and the movie just rules. Oh, thank, thank you, guys. Thank you all. Thank so you. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 195. Special thanks to our guests, Neil Marshall and Charlotte Kirk. 
Follow them at Charlotte Kirk Official and at Neil Marshall underscore director on Instagram. And don't miss The Reckoning, a time of release in theaters on demand and digital February 5th. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.